Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today we move on to the fourth and final series of Satipatthana exercises, those under contemplation of phenomena. What are phenomena? The Pali word here is Dhamma which is spelled like and pronounced like Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha in Sanskrit Dharma. But Dhamma has a variety of uses in Pali. Here it can be taken to refer to anything we experience. Recall that in Satipatthana, we are observing our experiential world, or the world as it appears to us in awareness. Anything in that world is a phenomenon. This is essentially what phenomenon means in the school of philosophy called phenomenology. Everything we have been contemplating so far, whether internally or externally, is a phenomenon because we experience it. It can be mental in nature, like pain or anxiety, or like anger or kindness, or it can be physical, like your car which most of us certainly experience as something out there and substantially existing, even though we are, in principle, able to experience it otherwise through Satipatthana training. So far, internal analysis has been directed to experiencing primarily one phenomenon otherwise, the self. Not as something that doesn't exist in any way at all, but as something that does not exist substantially by itself, not as something existing out there independent of how we experience it, or existing from its own side more or less permanently. With that in mind, we have also attempted to experience the body feelings and the mind, otherwise in similar terms, because these are often experienced as equivalent to the self. We've tried to deconstruct these things in order to leave us with the bare concepts in order not to experience these things as substantial. The Buddha did not experience these things as substantial, hence his teaching on non-self, anatta. So we have taken a step towards being able to see with the eyes of the Buddha. That is to say, not just to intellectually apprehend, what the Buddha was talking about, but to internalize that understanding and embed it in our own mechanisms of perception. Turning to the fourth Satipatthana, contemplation of phenomena, our task is much broader than deconstruction of the self and the various subsidiary realizations that come with the various contemplative exercises. I'm convinced that our ultimate aim here is to see the entire Dhamma with the eyes of the Buddha. In fact, the various phenomena that provide the scope for the exercises listed in the contemplation of phenomena 
all appear prominently among the Buddha's most profound and subtle teachings. The Dhammas listed are the five hindrances, lust, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt. The five aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, formations, and cognizance. The sixfold sphere, vision, audition, olfaction, gestation, sensation, and introspection. The seven factors of awakening, mindfulness, examination, energy, rapture, serenity, concentration, and equanimity. And the Four Noble Truths, Suffering, Origin, Cessation, and Path. Each of these topics is represented in many discourses and might constitute a research topic in right understanding in itself before we are ready to bring it with full understanding into Satipatthana practice. I dare say this list might and should be extended to include at least the 12 links of dependent co-arising, my favorite list. The coincidence of the Pali words for phenomenon as topics of investigation and Dhamma as the teachings of the Buddha is arguably deliberate. Maybe it's even a play on words. The contemplation or examine of Dhammas is how we thoroughly internalize the Dharma. It's the practice of verifying or applying the understanding of Dharma in our own direct experience of the relevant factors and relations, particularly conditional relations, that help achieve first-hand intimacy with the Dharma. What at first appears to be a theoretical abstraction as we begin to study Buddhism, for instance, the Four Noble Truths, in the end becomes the very way we perceive the world. In principle, we should be able to contemplate any aspect of the Dharma in this way. From this perspective, contemplation of body, feelings, and mind are simply warm-ups for contemplation of phenomena. Now, this is not generally how Satipatthana is taught or practiced today. So once again, I'm doing a little rethinking of the Satipatthana. Contemplation of the body generally gets the most attention, not contemplation of phenomena. Analio, one of the most productive scholar monks around and very influential in modern scholarship, marginalizes contemplation of phenomena even further by arguing that the contemplation of phenomena originally contained only two exercises, contemplation of hindrances and contemplation of the awakening factors. The five hindrances are the forms of distraction that challenge us as we practice the first three satipatthana, as well as we practice concentration. The seven factors of awakening are a progression of activities and states that lead from satipatthana to concentration. This makes the contemplation of phenomena subordinate to the other three satipatthanas, a helper that spells out in more detail experiences that arise specifically in practicing 
the first three satipatthanas. When we think about it this way, contemplation of phenomena becomes an assistant to contemplations of body, feelings, and mind, rather than, as I argue, contemplation of body, feelings, and mind serving as a warm-up for contemplation of phenomena. Analiyo's argument is from the comparative study of the Satipatthana Sutta as it has been preserved through various early sects of Buddhism. We've been discussing the Satipatthana as it has been preserved for some 22 or 300 years in the Theravada tradition in the Pali language, initially in Sri Lanka, along with the other discourses of the Pali canon, initially orally through memorization and recitation in the first centuries after the Buddha. However, the same kind of thing was going on in many geographically dispersed sects in the early centuries as well, resulting in some divergence in the content. However, I'm glad to report sectarian variation in the content of any particular discourse is in generally remarkably small. This has been recognized by scholars since the 19th century. Basically, individual sects with little historical contact did a very good job of accurately preserving the teachings of the Buddha. But, in the Satipatthana, we discover some significant sectarian divergence of a certain kind. We find wildly divergent lists of exercises under contemplation of body as well as under contemplation of phenomena. Analio compares two representative early sectarian variants with the Pali variant, which is what I'm teaching. One of these, probably from the Mahasangika sect of eastern India, lists only four body exercises. The other, probably from the Sarvastivadin sect of northwestern India, lists 11, compared to the six in the Pali variant. The first of these lists two phenomenon exercises, the second three compared to the six in the Pali variant. Only contemplation of the five hindrances and contemplation of the seven factors of awakening are found in every variant. Analio concludes that there was an original version of the Satipatthana Sutta in that it only envisioned these two phenomenon exercises and that individual later traditions added the extra ones rather freely. He also points out that these two are the only exercises that provide insight into the practice of Satipatthana itself. The hindrances describe having put away covetousness and grief for the world, and the factors of awakening describe the unfolding of the concentrated mind during Satipatthana. Therefore, for Analio, only hindrances and awakening factors need to be taken seriously under contemplation of phenomena. Now, I reach exactly the opposite conclusion, that both body exercises and phenomena exercises were, from the very beginning, meant to be open-ended sets. Satipatthana is a technique 
of contemplation, not just a list of things to contemplate, and is therefore applicable to any topic for which the technique makes sense. Because of the prominence of the Satipatthana, the Buddha must have lectured on Satipatthana often, along with his major disciples. Many of these will have been creative in extending the technique to the contemplation of new topics. I do this myself, particularly in contemplating the many aspects of the links of dependent co-arising not explicitly mentioned as exercises in the Satipatthana. We know that a particular canonical discourse is rarely a faithful reflection of a Dharma talk of the Buddha on a particular occasion, but is rather a composite of recurring standardized formulas conditioned over time through repeated recitation and memorization. A canonical discourse generally came into being when one of these composites acquired official status to the exclusion of the others. Because of the open-endedness of the Satipatthana, different decisions would have been made in different sects as to which exercises to include and which to exclude in the official canon, since probably most Satipatthana practitioners would have practiced primarily the first three Satipatthanas rather than the more difficult fourth. Their interest in the fourth would have primarily centered around the exercises relevant to the first three, namely the hindrances and the factors of awakening. There would have been a natural bias toward those two for inclusion in the canon of any particular sect. At least, this is how I see the matter. There are a couple of supporting arguments for the open-endedness of the contemplation of phenomena. We'll look at the factors of awakening in detail in a few weeks, but for now we observe that the first three of the seven factors of awakening describe the Satipatthana itself. The seven factors are mindfulness, investigation of phenomena, energy, those three make up the Satipatthana, then delight, calm, concentration, and equanimity. Investigation of phenomena expresses the main task of the Satipatthana. Mindfulness and energy are factors supportive of the task in the Satipatthana. Moreover, the expression investigation of phenomena, Dhamma suggests the fourth Satipatthana rather than the first three, since it refers specifically to phenomena, Dhamma, and to investigation or examination, which is more intense than the contemplation or observation, which suffice for the first three Satipatthanas. This suggestion is further reinforced by the description of the role of mindfulness in the factors of awakening from another discourse. Whenever bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwelling thus withdrawn, recollects that Dhamma and thinks it over, on that occasion, the awakening factor of mindfulness is aroused by the bhikkhu. The bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of mindfulness at that time. Notice that mindfulness, sati here, 
is specifically identified with memory of the Dhamma. This identifies mindfulness with recollection of the Dharma and therefore makes any appropriate aspect of the Dharma a potential topic of contemplation. Therefore, it does not make sense to place a limit on the range of phenomena exercises. The same conclusion is backed up by the description of the stages of liberation, which we encountered a couple of months ago in these podcasts. Recall that the stages of liberation describe the whole process of acquiring right understanding of the Dharma, from learning to recite the scriptures through pondering, examining, and mentally inspecting the Dharma, as we have heard and learned it, to grasping well a certain object of concentration, attending to it well, sustaining it well, and penetrating it well with wisdom. These last two stages clearly describe the fourth Satipatthana, the investigation of Dharma in combination with concentration, as described in the Seven Factors of Awakening. In this way, our understanding of Dharma develops from Scripture through something integrated into a wide fabric of experience to something internalized beyond the conceptual to the point that we effectively perceive through the eyes of the Buddha. It seems to me a lot of Dharma flows into the Satipatthana, For that to happen, we need to allow for an open-ended set of exercises under the contemplation of phenomena. Even the six listed in the Pali version do not suffice, though I'll confine myself to describing the six as representative of the many more possibilities. I would venture to say that an aspect of Dharma is appropriate for analysis through Satipatthana, if it points to phenomena that can be attentively experienced moment to moment. For instance, we can attend to ill will as it manifests in the present moment as the flaring up of anger. Internalization of the Dharma is a theme best taken up, to my knowledge, in Shulman's book, Rethinking the Buddha. He describes mindfulness as a method by which philosophy is turned into an active way of seeing. The result is that we perceive spontaneously or intuitively in accord with Dharma, but without conceptualization. He views concentration or samadhi as a critical part of this process. We'll discuss this in more detail with respect to the contemplation of the seven factors of awakening by and by. But next week, we will first take up the contemplation of the hindrances.